this is the Ether Podcast, and I'm Rodrigo. And this is Ryan. And today we're continuing our series on how to study the Bible, and we're taking sort of a, a step back because we had been talking about biblical narratives, and then we moved on to talking about prophecy, and now we're sort of going back to biblical narratives, but not really. And the reason why is because we're talking about the book of Acts. And interestingly enough, Ryan Novak, the book of Acts is considered a biblical narrative. It has all of the features of a biblical narrative. But here's the thing, and this is what we're talking about today, Ryan Novak. Most of us don't read the book of Acts as a narrative. Uh, okay. And the reason I think why I wanted to do a separate podcast on the book of Acts is because of this reason. Because the way that we approach the book of Acts is different than, I think, if we're honest, we approach many other of the other books of the Bible. Uh, we tend to look at the book of Acts as, uh, dare I say, a blueprint for what church is supposed to be. And I think for good reason, uh, there's a very strong historical aspect to the book of Acts. It tells us about the early church and what the early church did and the many, mm -hmm. the many people involved in the early church and all sorts of different characters. And so we tend to read the book of Acts with sort of a, of a different light. And I think especially when it comes to our particular church culture, I feel like the book of Acts plays a big role. Uh, certainly sure. we even have, we even for, for those of you who are part of our church, uh, you know that we have a very uh, famous musical that some of our brothers created about the book of Acts. And in many ways, I think uh, when I certainly became a Christian, one of it was never straight out said, if you will. But I think there was sort of this intent of uh, emulating the church of the book of Acts, which in of itself, I don't think is a bad thing. And even uh, as far as, I guess, uh, church backgrounds is concerned, our church, Ryan, comes from the Restoration Movement, which part of what the Restoration Movement seeks to do is to sort of restore the fervor of the early church. And I think for a lot of Restoration Movements, uh, the Book of Acts plays a, a big role. Yeah. All that being said, my good friend Ryan... I do think uh, that when you look at the story of the book of Acts, uh, it's a good question to ask, like, is what Luke intended in writing this book really to make it sort of a, a blueprint for what other church ought to, ought to be in the future? Right. Yeah. I, I think you're totally right in that we can look at Acts in a way that that is, we connect with it a little better. In 2019, when we're trying to read the Bible, we're trying to find pieces that are the most applicable to our situations and trying to figure out what can we take and get as many concrete ideas from. I think in Western culture and western society we tend to look for those bullet points we tend to look for those concrete ideas 
that we can follow, something that we can print out and say, this is what we do and this is why we do it. And we like it best when it's short and succinct. Right. And I think that the book of Acts, where it has the first appearance of Christian communities, really sets itself up to be that example for us. Right. That even up through the time of Jesus, we're still still dealing with Jewish communities. And so even through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're not dealing with a Christian community just yet. Because the Christian community is based on and around and stems from the death of Jesus, which obviously doesn't happen until the end of the Gospels. So there isn't that Christian community just yet. Right. And so I think that it's very easy for us to look at Acts and say, let's let's emulate these things because there are lots of famous scriptures, lots of famous passages that are found in the book of Acts that are easy to emulate, things that we can follow, things that we can say, all right, these are things that we want to see characterizing our church. Right. And I, and I do also think that one of the um, things that really draws us to the book of Acts are the characters, especially when you think of uh, sort of the continuation. So Luke writes the book of Acts as a continuation of his gospel. And in many ways, it sort of takes this, uh, obviously in the gospels, there's a uh, focus on the characters, particularly Jesus, but his apostles as well. And there is this element to the book of Acts where you're seeing what becomes of these men after Jesus is gone. And there is something very appealing to that. And there is something uh, that, it, that I think we attach ourselves a lot to that goes with that. And then sort of Paul comes into the picture and to see uh, the things that he does. And so I say all of it. Well, I say all of this for two reasons. Because A, I think... Uh, the way that we look at the book of Acts is uh, is not um, is is not like a far fetched thing, you know. What I mean, most of us again look at the book of Acts from a very historical standpoint, from a very inspirational standpoint, and really we tend to read it with a with a with a desire to want to recreate a lot of what's in it. And I do want to say off the bat, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? Okay. However, I do think uh, that it really bears the question of, is this the best way to read the book of Acts? Because there's yeah. sort of two things at play here. Um, there's certainly the history of the, the book itself. But I think it's very easy to forget, especially with a book like Acts, that uh, the Bible has a has an overall narrative, and that in many ways the Book of Acts is a contribution to the overall story of the Bible. And as mm -hmm. we've discussed many times, Ryan, I think one of the best ways to read the Bible is from this sort of big picture perspective. And because yeah. of the nature of the book of Acts, it's very easy to sort of narrow down into the details and all do the, and all these things and really see it as a blueprint. And before we really get into this, I, I want to make it very clear to whoever is listening to this is that I love the book of Acts. Uh, I 
love the place that the Book of Acts has in my life and especially in our church culture. But at the same time, I think uh, part of learning how to read the Bible well has a lot to do with uh, abandoning some of our preconceived ideas of what we think the Bible is. And I think the more you learn about the Bible as a document and the more you learn how to read it, there are many different places in which our preconceived notions are going to be challenged. And certain mm -hmm. things are not what we, uh, or not entirely, but in many ways are not uh, what we hold them to be initially, if that yeah. makes sense. And so yeah. what we're going to talk about is very much sort of along that vein, which doesn't, again, it doesn't necessarily uh, make the way that, that whoever's listening to this, uh, the way they look at the book of Acts, good or bad, we're just really trying to, I think, ultimately be faithful to the overall story of the Bible and certainly to what seems to have been Luke's intent. Yeah. Because, see, here's here's the thing, all right? And I think this, this is something that uh, we have to approach with a certain degree of uh, uh, honesty, if you will. I don't know if honesty is the right word, but I'm going to use it anyways. Because, see... Sounds good. <laughs> uh, here's, here's the thing. If if Luke wrote the book of Acts with the intention of it being a blueprint for how future churches are going to do church, it certainly, it certainly leaves us with a lot of questions, Ryan. Mm. Because there are not a lot of things that you see all throughout the book that makes you go like, oh, this is the way that we're supposed to do it. And even... Within the first few chapters, let me just throw this example out there. In the first chapter of the book, the second chapter of the book of Acts, no, sorry, in the first, uh, they have to pick a successor to Judas, right? And the way they pick the successor is that they have they pick somebody who was around while Jesus was alive to because that person needs to be an apostle, and then they basically like throw dice, man, like they they cast <laughs> lots, like they come up with a list of guys. Right. And they basically like sort of leave it up to chance to which one of them they choose. And then a few chapters later, there's this situation in which there's this group of uh, widows who are not being taken care of. And they basically choose a group of men to make sure that they're taken care of, that they're fed, that, they're, uh, that there's rations for them and all this other stuff. And in that instance, to pick these men, it's kind of like they ask, hey, who amongst us, amongst these people has a, a good reputation and basically we're going to take care of them. You know what I mean? And, and there is mm -hmm. no casting lots. And so if Luke intends his book to sort of be like, hey, if you have a church, this is how you're supposed to pick your leaders. He doesn't necessarily give us a way in which to do it. So do we sort of throw dice or do we pick from amongst uh, a group of guys that have a good reputation or, or even interestingly enough, obviously the book of Acts talks about a lot of conversions and a, a big part of the story is to see how the, how the gospel moves from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. And interestingly enough, a lot of times when Paul, uh, when Luke describes these conversions, 
a lot of them don't happen in the same way. Sometimes uh, the Holy Spirit sort of makes this appearance and that compels people to want to be baptized. And sometimes people are baptized and they've not sort of seen the power of the Spirit. And then you have other situations in which people... uh, Again, like it's it's always different. It's like there's no set yeah. pattern in which like people are converted. Sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't even make sort of a, an appearance to woe and astonish people. You know what <laughs> I mean? Certainly the the uh, the example of Philip comes along when he encounters the Ethiopian eunuch. Like it's that happens. The the eunuch is merely converted by uh, reading the prophets, you know what I mean? And there, there is sort of no fire from the sky or miraculous uh, acts being done. This man is just convinced from Philip showing him scripture, you know what I mean? And so there is no set yeah. pattern for which uh, people are converted. And so that all leaves us with a question of uh, if this is supposed to be, not necessarily a question, but I think just the observation of if this is supposed to be some kind of blueprint, it certainly doesn't uh, give us necessarily a set a set pattern for a lot of things. Yeah, I've been spending a lot of time looking at the Bible from thirty thousand feet, and it's been one of those things that over the last couple of years, as I've tried to read and consider the Bible differently, has really challenged a lot of preconceptions that I've had. So I grew up in the church, and I uh, read the Bible, probably one of the, some of the first stories that I ever heard. Um, so I've been reading it for a while, and there are certain stories and certain ways of reading it that get ingrained. So right. the last couple of years, where I've tried to step back and understand the overall narrative, has really reshaped my understanding of these Bible stories. And so right now, I'm, I'm spending some a lot of time looking at this idea of peace and completeness Mm. and how God has created in the very beginning the world and designed it to be exactly as he wanted it to be. And that what we see in the very, very beginning is this perfect representation of man's unity with one another and man's unity with God. And we quickly see man try and usurp the position of God, taking from God the ability to choose right and wrong. Right. And we see the fall of man and the destruction and the dismantling of what God has created. And so the rest of the Bible is sort of two parallel storylines, one of man unraveling what God created and God's constant pursuit to draw man back to him and restore what what he initially created. And then you get to Jesus and you see what he has, what Jesus is cross means of bringing restoration and renewal and all this amazing re words, right. resurrection, renewal, um, revitalization, 
um, back to mankind. Then we immediately transition into Acts. And I think we have two parallel storylines again. One is continuing this line of how God is working to restore what he had started in the very beginning. Right. And so what we see immediately at the beginning of Acts is we see Peter get up and he tells people about who Jesus is and all these people get baptized. And we see this heart of love, of complete um, community, people taking care of one another, people from all kinds of different backgrounds that you are told that there are people from 12 different nations, I believe, who are there in Jerusalem, and they all get baptized. And what we're led to believe is that these people didn't go home, that they stayed in Jerusalem. So right. now have 3,000 people who essentially are homeless, who theoretically don't know the language very well, because that was one of the main aspects of what were that surprised them in Acts 2, is that everybody heard the gospel being preached in their own language. Right. So you have thousands of homeless people who don't speak the language who need to be cared for by the community of believers and they're trying to make their way into this community and so we see god's spirit building community where there shouldn't be community in our own eyes right and so we see god's hand at the same time as we continue to progress through acts we see how how do these these humans, these people who have been given the Spirit of God in them, how are they meeting and addressing the challenges that come with centuries and millennia of cultural baggage? How do they handle that, and how do they work that into their community, and how do they address those things? And so I don't think that you get the same answer every time it's it's a story of people stumbling their way through and trying to form community in the best way that they can and so you get a story like acts six where you have the the grecian jew grecian widows being overlooked in the distribution of food what's that saying it's saying that that the hebrews the israelite Jews were taking care of their own people. And you can get into a whole thought of that was intentional, that there's cultural bias and there's problems that they're still wrestling with. Or you could say, uh, it's the same way you take care of your own family first. You just, it's not that you're purposefully harming somebody else. It's just you're not thinking. And so either way you go, it has to be addressed. Right, And so what do they do is they appoint seven men who, if you look at their names, they all tend, they all look like they're Gentile names. Right, they're all Greek So here names. you have, yeah, you have a, a community that's based in a Jewish religion where a whole group of servant leaders is actually coming from the Gentile background, which is amazing. But at the same time, completely logical. Who better to look after 
after the the needs of the Grecian widows right. than people from that background anyway. Um, so you, you're balancing logic along with the marrying and mingling of cultures and backgrounds and the breaking down of biases. And even in the beginning when Jesus says, "Let's, you are going to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Right. And so what that saying is, you're going to go to, to our people, the Jews, first. Then you're going to go to Samaritan, or the, to Samaria, the home of the Samaritans, the people that we hate, the right. people that you look at and, <laughs> and you don't get enemies. along with. Him. Right. And then you're going to go to the ends of the earth, everybody else, not just the Samaritans, but all Gentiles. And everyone is going to be a part of this community. Right. And so I think you have these two incredibly cool storylines happening at the same time of how God is reunifying and resurrecting community at the same time how are his people encountering and dealing with these difficult issues and how are they left to to how are they left to to deal with these these questions uh yes you know, you, you bring up a really good point, Ryan, and I think um, – I was bound to. All these podcasts, <laughs> I was bound to have one. Uh, I do I do think, as it is often the case with many books of the Bible, there's sort of uh, multiple stories being told at the same time. And I think certainly uh, the, the how – the church grows and moves and addresses all these situations is certainly uh, one of them. And I think it's it's a very important aspect. I, I think if anything, sort of the, the, the picture that we get of early church life um, is, is awesome, for one. And for two, it, it sort of comes and it belongs to sort of the, the overall narrative of the Bible in that this is the kingdom expanding. Like, this is the kingdom of God, which has belonged to the Jews for all these thousands of years that is now moving into the rest of the world. And that's certainly uh, part of the narrative of Acts, and it's certainly part of the overall narrative of the Bible, because this was a promise, right, that the kingdom that 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 God was going to use Israel to bless the nations, like this is that promise uh, and that intent from God being fulfilled, right? Right. There's also the the aspect, and this is one of the things that I really want to get into here, because I think this is, the, when I learned to look at the book of Acts in this way, like it, it radically changed the way that I approached it. Because there is sort of another story that's sort of at play here that fits uh, also with the overall narrative of the Bible. And I think ultimately there's, there's sort of the, the two intertwined stories of the book of Acts that belong to the overall narrative of the Bible. Actually, two, two three, if you will. Because uh, I think, well, one of them, well, they're all related, basically. Now you're making up numbers. No, but... I, <laughs> No, they're all related. Is basically what I'm getting at, and they all be, they all belong to the overall narrative of the Bible, and that's uh, the kingdom of God, right? Uh, 
the message of God, the message of the gospel, if you will, um, and the Holy Spirit. And I think uh, the part that we miss the most in our reading of the book of Acts is the part of the Holy Spirit. And yet, it seems to be sort of the the central and the most consistent part of the book of Acts. And, and this is what I mean. Like, if you look at the book of Acts overall, right, you can divide the book of Acts in sort of like four, uh, four episodes, if you will, right? Okay. There's uh, the church in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. There's the church in Samaria. Uh, there's sort of the, the beginnings of the church in the world, if you will, the rest of uh, the known world. And then there's sort of the, the fast spread of... So, like, part one is the church in, Jeru- church in Jerusalem. Second part is the church in Judea. The third part is the, the church beginning to go out of that sort of Israel region, if you will, and, and into the Roman world. And then the fourth part is is the church really going out into the Roman world, like in a big sort of exclamation point kind of sense, right? And if you take okay. sort of those those big breaks, it would be uh, Acts 1 through 7 is the church in Jerusalem. Acts 8 through 12 is uh, the church in Samaria and sort of beginning to go to the Gentiles. Uh, Acts 13 through 20 is sort of the beginnings of the gospel going the gospel, the kingdom, the Holy Spirit, all of that stuff, all together, and that and I'm putting all those things together when I talk about these things. Uh, Acts thirteen to twenty, going beginning to go into the Gentile world more to the Roman world, if you will, and then Acts twenty one to twenty eight, like going to it more, um, and and sort of, uh, well, I'll talk about the end of the book of Acts in in a little bit here, but. Interestingly enough, if you break down the book of Acts in sort of those those big chapters, right? What what moves every time the story sort of takes a big leap forward, what's involved in that big leap is the Holy Spirit. And like this is what I mean, right? So the book of Acts begins and the big Sort of like so, Jesus is with the with the disciples, and he's teaching them, and then he tells them like, "Hey, I'm leaving, but you guys are basically going to be my stewards and you bring the gospel to the rest of the world." And he tells them like, "Don't go yet. Like, I know that you guys are ready to go, but don't go yet. Like, you're going to receive a power, and when you receive that power, like that's when you'll know like you're supposed to go, right? And mm-hmm. so they're waiting, and then that's the whole thing with. You know, they're in a room and the Holy Spirit comes and it feels like this wind and tongues of fire comes and rests upon their heads and all this stuff. And this sort of like fits within the general uh, symbolism of God's presence, which is always involved with fire. Like when the law is given, there's fire on Mount Sinai. When the tabernacle is built, like fire comes and rests on it, all this other stuff. Like, you know, there's fire. This symbolizes like, hey, God is here. And God is telling you, like, he's here, and now he's going to dwell in you 
through the Spirit, and then you begin to see the apostles begin to preach to everybody, and uh, people receive the Spirit, and there's a whole thing that you alluded to where, like, everybody's hearing each other in their own language, even though they're not really speaking their language, all this other stuff, and, like, so, boom, like, the Spirit shows up and thrust the story forward, right? And people begin to be converted in Jerusalem, and then... That sort of episode ends with Stephen being martyred, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, even in uh, Acts 7 and verse 55, as sort of the whole episode with Stephen is being, uh, he's being stoned and stuff. Uh, Acts 7 verse 55 talks about how he's filled with the Spirit and he sort of makes this big proclamation that he sees Jesus and all this stuff and then he dies. And again, sort of like you, so you have this section, right, bookended by the spirit sort of uh, showing up and Stephen dies with this sort of big expression of the spirit and seeing Jesus up in the sky and all this other stuff. And then begins the second episode, which is like people are basically fleeing Jerusalem and going into the surrounding regions. And again, what you see throughout the whole second part is being people being moved by the spirit to go to all these different places and preach to all these different people, you know, uh, the whole episode with, uh, with Simon and him wanting the spirit and sort of realizing that the spirit is not supposed to be used for personal power, but it's supposed to be used for like the benefit of others and all this other stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the, the big event in this section though, is when, uh, God sort of appears to Cornelius and tells them that to find Peter. And Peter has this dream in which he sees all kinds of animals sort of descending from the sky, and God tells him to eat and all this other stuff. And basically, there's this big episode in which uh, Peter finds Cornelius, and Cornelius basically believes in Christ. And again, the Spirit shows up in the same way that the Spirit showed up in Acts 2, basically signifying like, hey... The Spirit showed up with the Jews and with your people, and now it's showing up with Cornelius and his household. And basically, you know, the Spirit is for the Gentiles too, and the message is for the Gentiles too. And so, again, here you have the story being thrust forward by a big event involving the Holy Spirit, right? And then the, the, (laughs) the, the next part, which is Acts 13 to 20, is sort of a continuation of that. In which, you know, Paul gets converted and all this stuff happens. But again, it's, it's the kingdom of God, the gospel, and the spirit going to all these places, right? And, you know, Paul becomes a missionary and preaches all over the place. And, you know, there's many episodes in which, like, Paul wanted to go someplace and the spirit tells him, like, no, don't go there. Or the spirit will guide him to go, like, meet somebody and all these other things, right? But again, like, who all consistently through the book of Acts... What's what pushes the story forward is the Holy Spirit, right? Which brings us to the last part. Which this is one of my favorite uh, passages in the Bible, Ryan Novak. The first time I read this passage, I literally I was crying because it moved me so much. And so now we uh, we go back because I really want to read this. We go back to a recurring segment of our podcast called a reading, and. The third sort of a big uh, chunk, if you will, the, th- the third episode in the book of Acts uh, sort of is in, uh, in Acts 20. And I want to read this to you. 
because I just want to show you the the big role that the book of the the Holy Spirit really plays in the book of Acts and how uh, ultimately I believe that the book of Acts is is mainly about the Holy Spirit. So in um, in Acts twenty. Um, starting in verse 17, and just to give you a little bit of background here. You stick it with the ESV, the English Standard Version. Yes, I am reading the ESV. Uh, just to give you a little bit of background here. So, like, Paul's been going all over the place, starting churches everywhere, right? And uh, somewhere in the book of Acts, it talks about how uh, a prophet basically prophesies there's going to be this uh, famine and uh, the, the church in Jerusalem is really going to suffer because there was there's going to be a big famine in Israel, and so Paul begins to gather money to help the church in Jerusalem, and he himself wants to deliver it, right? Even though this is uh, a really dangerous move to for him, because who's waiting for him uh, in Jerusalem are the Pharisees who hate Paul, right? And so, but this is a super interesting thing. So starting in verse 17 in Acts 20, this is Paul basically telling, he's in Ephesus at this point, and he's telling the elders there, like, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem. So verse 17, it says, uh, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Sorry, he's in Miletus, not in Ephesus. My bad. And says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the through the plots of the Jews. <coughs> Sorry, I keep coughing. Um, how I did not th shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me, but I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course of the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And again, here's sort of the the third chapter, if you will, the, the big chapter of Acts, sort of winding down with Paul going to Jerusalem, but he even says that what's compelling him to go, even though it's dangerous, is the Spirit. And so what we see in the last part of the book of Acts is basically Paul going back to Jerusalem, being arrested, and then the book ends. Like, he's arrested, and he's under house arrest, and he teaches people. He's in Rome now, uh, and he's teaching people. And basically, that's, that's, that's where the book ends, Ryan. Like, that is where it ends. And so, again, like, all, all throughout the story of Acts, what you see is, like, these big episodes of like big things happening and at every turn what's propelling the story forward is the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit plays like this super central role in the whole book. And I think because of that, 
one of the best ways to read the book of Acts, yes, like it, it's all the things that we talked about earlier, right? But it certainly seems that Luke's intent in writing the book of Acts, or one of his big intents, was to sort of tell the story of the Holy Spirit. And even how he ends the book, right? The fact that it has like an open ending. He doesn't tell us what happens to Paul. He doesn't, I mean, we know what happens to Paul. Like he's martyred as well. He He's basically killed for his faith, right? Um, but Luke doesn't tell us. Dude, Luke doesn't tell us that. He sort of leaves it open. And one of the reasons why uh, many scholars believe that he sort of leaves it that way is basically to say, it's like, hey, this story isn't over yet. Like right. you, the reader, who has the spirit in you, gets to continue this narrative. Yeah. Through your faith and through your actions and through you bringing the gospel to other people, like this story of the kingdom and the gospel going to people and the spirit acting upon the world is not over yet. Like you yeah. as a reader get to continue it. So even how the book ends leaves sort of like this future in which the message of God, the kingdom of God and the spirit of God have a big role. And so if, if even when you think about the fact that right, like all this time sort of as, especially like from, from the moment Paul becomes a Christian on he sort of becomes the the big uh, human protagonist of the story. But the fact that he doesn't mm -hmm. tell us how that story ends basically tells you that his focus wasn't necessarily even the people, right? Like the people in the book of Acts obviously play a big role in it. But certainly yeah. by the way that Luke closes his book doesn't tell you that that is the most important part of it. Yeah. I was always impacted um, uh or uh, was struck um, by the end of Moses' life. That like Joshua 1, 1, I think it's 1, 1, says something like, the Lord said to Joshua, my servant Moses is dead. Right. Now then, get up. <laughs> Which to me is always amazing. Right. That here's the guy who has laid the foundation of the Jewish faith. And how does God announce his death? Moses is dead. Now, get up. And I think what that says to me is that far too often we parts that we play or that the parts that others play around us rather than keeping in mind that God is first and foremost. And so I think you're absolutely right with what Luke is trying to do. Um, I also wonder, I, I'm not sure about timelines, but I wonder if Paul was actually, had actually been martyred at the end of, like when Luke had finished writing, maybe, hmm. maybe he just said, all right, this is where the story is at. Cause it starts off and it sounds like what he's giving is a report of how the church has been progressing. And maybe that's just what had, had stopped. I don't know. There's probably better Bible scholars out there who are like, you're leading people astray. Poor information. <laughs> um, I don't know. But I do believe that, that the trajectory 
is to say the spirit is still moving. It's still moving forward. And the parts that we play are undefined and they've yet to be determined. Right. And you know what? I I read this and when I read it, um, it really um, sort of, and again, these these are small details, and I'm I'm sharing this just to really sort of reinforce sort of the the centrality of um, of the Holy Spirit and the fact that um, so we're told the story of Paul, right, and how he brings the gospel to sort of Asia, what they called Asia in Europe and stuff, and so basically most of Paul's journeys go west. Right. And but I think even from the book of reading the book of Acts, you would think that Paul was the only one that sort of brought the the gospel to people. But during the same period or roughly right during the same amount of time that uh, Paul's story is happening, uh, the gospel is also traveling east. And. Around the time that Paul's life ends, the the gospel travels as far east as uh, into deep Mesopotamia, which is current uh, Iraq and Iran, that sort of region of the world. But Luke doesn't say anything about it. Like, right. we don't know. We don't know the names. Obviously, there's always speculation, but we don't know the names of the guys that took the gospel east. Luke didn't well, write about those guys. Well, rumor is that Luke himself actually died in India. Right. Rumor has it. He made, rumor has it. Right. That he made it out that far. Right. But even but even as sort of Paul's story is happening, there are other Christians who nobody really wrote about that are taking the gospel other places. And again, like if 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 Luke's intent was to sort of tell the story of these men, that sort of take the gospel to these places. I mean, there was a group of men that he didn't necessarily write about. And, and again, I think I'm not saying that to to downplay what Paul did nor downplay what these other men did. I'm just saying is Luke's uh, main concern certainly seems to have been like, look at what the spirit is doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And even when you think about it, right? Uh Man, like the Holy Spirit was this thing, like it was this promise, like when, like if you read through Isaiah and Jeremiah, one of the big promises of God to, in the restoration of Israel and sort of like when Israel was going to regain its full glory, if you will, was when the Spirit was going to come and dwell in people. Like people had been waiting for this thing to happen for hundreds of years. Right. And it's it's sort of like there's this expectation for the spirit to like this is a big sign that God is is really establishing Israel as this like unshakable kingdom. One of the signs that that was happening was that the spirit was now going to come and dwell in people. And so this indwelling of the spirit is such a big part of the overall narrative of the Bible that it sort of stands to reason why Luke uh, would really dedicate a whole book to sort of that, how that happens, especially in the, in the, in the, 
in the years following Jesus' death, like the Messiah comes and now the Spirit comes and dwells in people, like this is a big deal. It's a big, important thing. And yeah. sort of how to document how the Spirit is sort of invading our world, Ryan. Like it's it's an important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think even like, I, I think, and, and see, here's the thing, and I love, once you understand this, I think the, the, the way that the book of Acts ends makes a lot of sense. And especially it makes a lot of sense when you look at it from the standpoint of uh, this, this is still our story. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, and it's easy to forget, Ryan. Like we, the same spirit that Luke writes about, is the same spirit that we have. Like yeah. we have the same spirit, and I think we have the chance, and especially the power, to write a lot of the same stories. Yeah. And because the amazing? book, yeah, and because the book sort of is open ended, and because it invites sort of our participation in that narrative, I think when we are done reading the book of Acts, like it should be super inspiring and encouraging. And it should ought to give us the, really the desire, man, to continue to advance the kingdom of God. Yeah. But not be constrained by feeling like you have to fit into the same mold and hold to the same paradigms right. that this early church was struggling through. We're in a very different situation in 2019 than we were back then. Yes. I am so glad you said that, Ryan, because that, my friend, is the perfect way to end this podcast because that is so true. <laughs> like, the, 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 we, are, the, we are bound to the spirit and not necessarily to, like, every single thing that the early Christians did. But yeah. we are bound to the spirit. So with that thought, like I said, hopefully this didn't did it come across as we are trying to burn everything. If anything, I think we're trying to clarify the meaning and the central message of the Book of Acts, and hopefully you find it a lot more uh, insightful. And I do hope it's challenged you, and hopefully it will change your mind as to how to approach the Book of Acts. And hopefully inspire you in brand new ways. So with that, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, listening to this as much as we enjoyed talking about it. And uh, you can uh, get in touch with us. If you strongly disagree with anything that we said, uh, you can uh, get in touch with us through social media on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter at EtherMMC. And, uh, you know, please follow us on social media. That is one of the main ways in which we uh, keep in touch with everybody that listens to us. And uh, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. Have a good one.